Hi, thanks for tuning in to my very own podcast, Xiaxue No Filter, where I share with you my unfiltered opinion on what is going on with the world. Oh my god, I am mega triggered. You offended your own Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Xiaxue No Filter and today I'm going to talk about myself first, okay? So I don't know if you guys have heard but recently there has been news of the protection order that I took out against someone called Eloise Quack and I posted about this on my Instagram so you guys can go there to read the full story. I talk about it quite a lot there. Um, But today on the podcast, I think I will speak a little bit more about you know, kind of the summary of what happened and kind of my feelings about it, I guess. So, you know, a lot of people are thinking, you know, why is it that I have to file a protection order against someone? They probably think that Eloise is just another run-of-the-mill detractor, somebody who said something bad about me. And then why do I feel the need to silence people, lah, so, so to speak, right? And I think a lot of people have the opinion that if you are a public figure, then you will get detractors. It is just part and parcel of, you know, what you get. Nah. You cannot just expect to get the good things out of being an influencer which is things like you know free trips free meals easy money free makeup and all this good stuff but don't get any of the bad stuff which is that you will definitely get people kind of scrutinizing whatever you say whatever you do and also people who don't like you who will, who will publicly express that lah. so I, I do believe that is part and parcel of the job you know but however I think that there is a line and for this Eloise person I felt like there was a need for me um, to file a protection order because in my opinion uh she went above and beyond that Um, so what happened was actually there was this Google documents that was circulating around and she is the creator of that Google documents and um, it has caused me a lot of damage in my life and not to mention distress and I don't like to show this side of myself to people because I don't like to have my haters gloat at any misfortune that I have and I, I know that they will just be very happy about it and I just don't like to give them any pleasure. I've said this in many interviews before, right? So, uh, but this time around, I really felt like I need to defend myself. And I think that, you know, people have this misconception that just because you are in so-called a position of power, you are supposed to kind of take it lying down every time someone attacks you and just not fight back because it is the gracious thing to do. However, I mean, logically speaking, if you attack someone first, you are the bully, not someone who defends themselves. That's what I think. Back to the story. The reason why I decided to file the protection order against Eloise is because of this Google documents that has been circulating, right? And in the Google documents, um, she actually put in a lot of screenshots of the worst sounding stuff that I have said or posted or tweeted over the years. And... Many of these things were like either taken from long ago, you know, sometimes people say stupid stuff, right? Like when they are younger and sometimes they don't mean it. Sometimes they are just dumb or just being angry or, you know, just didn't think things through lah because Twitter just asks you, what are you feeling today? And then you just tweet something and then you just, oh, actually, I probably shouldn't have said that, right? Like how many of us have done that before on Facebook or like whatever? And besides the old tweets that she dug up, there are many things that she dug up which were completely out of context. Like, uh, for example, she called me a rape trivializer um, because uh, there was this little incident that kind of went viral. Like there was an American social media like person, okay? So he types a lot of rubbish and he's quite popular. So this person is called Dan Arell. Actually, Melissa Chen in the previous interview talked about this guy as well. I think she also went into a fight with him. But basically, I don't know anything about him, but I saw that he posted that people should believe all victims. Like, meaning if someone accuses you of rape, 
the victim must automatically be believed, okay? Which to me is such a freaking ridiculous statement and to kind of like show that the, the, the logical fallacy, right, behind his statement, I replied him and said that he, he raped me and that his penis is very small. And to make it clear that he obviously did not rape me, right, I posted a follow-up tweet to say that, um, is it still rape if he was in America and I was in Singapore? Question mark, okay? So that tweet of mine went viral and she took that tweet of mine um, and posted it and it just made it seem like I was just going around making fun of rape victims or like like what she said, like trivializing rape, right? Making it into a very small deal. And it, that was not the case. Maybe it is not a very tasteful statement to make, but I don't think I was trivializing rape in any way. The thing that I said actually went viral because a lot of people found that it proved the point very clearly, right? That you cannot believe all victims. There needs to be some sense of a justice system going on, right? For the accused as well. So that was just, I mean, I digress, but that's just one of the things that she posted out, which was completely taken out of context. And it just really irritates me to hear people say that I trivialize rape when I don't. I really don't. How can you even say that a woman would trivialize rape? That's like, it just seems so impossible, you know? Okay, so anyway, in conclusion, rape is freaking terrible, okay? I do not trivialize it. Okay, so that is just one of those things that she posted up. And so she took off, like, all these things that were out of context or out of date, and she posted it all together. And that's fine. You know, you can compile whatever you want. Okay, that, that's okay. But what was not okay is that in the Google documents, she actually linked up all of my um clients that I had since 2018, right? So... She posted the clients, the brands that worked with me, and she also posted up their contact details. And she went one step further to make sure that if the clients were an international brand, she would post up their American contact details as well. So that was what she did. And furthermore, she listed down uh, a template which she wrote um, so that people can very easily cut and paste this template for other people to copy in an email or in a DM or leave in a comment, uh, you know, pressurizing all of these brands to not work with me anymore. And on top of that, she went around urging a lot of people to participate in this like campaign to demonetize me. And it actually worked, like, you know, and uh, several of the brands uh, publicly like sort of like dropped me, um, which obviously has affected my livelihood, right? So I really feel like this has kind of crossed a line. I feel so bad for my clients, right? They were so distressed. Um, they were just really uncomfortable. They, were, they still want to work with me, but now they are, you know, forced to not be able to because of this mob that wouldn't stop harassing them. And some people will maybe make the argument that these clients dropped me on their own accord, you know, but that's not true because they, they have told me that they had to make that decision because of all this public backlash that they were facing. A lot of the backlash that they got actually came from her template. Um, I, I, I really felt like this crossed a line and I think that no matter how much you disagree with someone, breaking their rice bowl isn't the way to go. And so I decided to file a protection order against um, Louis. Lah. I just want to make clear that, you know, I am not in the habit of constantly using the law to kind of silence people or suppress people or bully people. I have only ever filed a protection order twice in my life. All of 17 years that I've received 
all kinds of nasty comments that you know most of them I just let them slide I don't reply I don't I don't say anything sometimes I defend myself but that's my freedom of speech right I'm allowed to say what I think about what you say about me right so I think yeah, so I guess that's the conclusion to this uh, protection order saga. And yesterday, Eloise posted, um, as of recording, uh, yesterday, Eloise posted an apology to me, a public apology to me. And I'm just, I'm just glad that this, this shit is like over, you know. It, I think a lot of young people nowadays, they think that they should fight for world justice for some reason. They are very, very active in um, meeting up punishment and what they call holding people accountable. Uh -huh. Like all of your 15 years old and you are like, oh, I need to hold people accountable because they are in a position of power and they feel like they are fighting for the world. Well, I mean, I guess <laughs> the lesson to this is that you can't just say what you want to say. You can't just do all these things and think that you are the arbiter of what is right and what is wrong and decide by yourself, by your own judgment, and which might be misguided judgments, by the way, because sometimes you don't know the full story, right? To meet out this punishment to people whom you think deserve it and think that there's no consequence for you whatsoever because just because you are doing the right thing, right? There are consequences. People will fight back. Not everyone will just take it lying down. And... Yeah, this is one instance where I will not. Lah. So I guess that's the conclusion to this story. And um, again, I posted about this on Instagram so you guys can go look at it and leave me an encouraging comment, please. Oh yeah, I, I wanted to speak a little bit more about you know how I felt like doing the saga. Um, I, I, I mentioned that I don't like to admit that you know I feel bad <laughs> during these things. I always love to appear like I'm very strong because I believe that by appearing stronger, people will tend to bully you a little bit less. Lah, huh? So I think that, um, and that has always been sort of my image when I've been online all these years. And I think a lot of people believe it. And a lot of people also draw strength from it. Lah. They believe that, oh, you know, okay, I, I should also stand up for myself. And, but the truth is that I am also human and I must say that during the previous saga, um, it was just a little bit different and like just kind of seeing, just, you know, kind of looking at my mentions and seeing like thousands and thousands of just nasty comments about me on Twitter and it's like, none of the comments are positive. Everything is negative. Like people asking me to go kill myself. I shouldn't exist. I'm like, a, I don't know, scum of the universe. And it's just very disheartening to read all of these. And and I just wonder, you know, the suicide rates, um, Melissa Chen also mentioned in the interview with Amos E, that it has increased by a lot, right, nowadays. And I wonder if this, this has to do with this, trend la, of whenever you you see someone say something that you disagree with there's this whole so-called cancel culture thing oh shame him and like and then everyone is like piling on these nasty comments about that person but a person is not one-dimensional a person is not defined by his one comment right a person is human and maybe he's not as woke as you uh, would like him to be right uh, in one aspect, but maybe he's a, a amazing person in other aspects, right? And I think that, of course, the teens nowadays would not be dealing, you know, with the hate on the same magnitude that I had, which was enormous. But even at a smaller magnitude, I wonder if any kind of 15, 16 year old will be able to take it. Because when you see all of these nasty comments against you, um, it really feels very bad. Lah. Like you feel like there's no redeeming factor to you and that you just 
maybe you just shouldn't exist. Maybe they are right. Maybe you should just erase yourself and the world will be a better place. Yeah, so that was some of the thoughts that were running through my head at that time. It's, it's not like I broke down or couldn't function or like had depression or something like that, but it definitely just didn't feel good. And I feel like I'm very, very thankful. I'm very, very thankful for all of my followers who left me such nice comments. And um, my DMs were flooded with like thousands of comments. Not kidding, okay? And... These comments were not the simple ones like, oh, jiayo, or like, um, stay strong, we're behind you, stuff like that. People really put in effort to write really long paragraphs um, supporting me. And as I read them, it, it kind of cancelled away the nasty ones. You know, it made me feel like there are still people who, who see me for who I am and love me for who I am and that I should ignore all of the bad stuff. And it just really like, I, I just wonder la, if I didn't have that, how it would feel like. And some of the followers actually went to the extent of buying plastic cosmetics. Um, two of them left notes for me to read. And one of them actually wrote, don't know how else to support you. And I guess the most practical way is with my money or something like that. I cannot remember exactly what she wrote, but when I saw that, I just, I just broke down, you know, I just started to cry. Like, that was so nice of her. And... Yeah, so I guess that's my feelings during this whole um, cancer culture saga, which I guess I haven't really talked about. It's a little bit painful to think about, so I don't want to talk about it too much. But yeah, so that's the little background story. I guess we'll move on to the next news. I don't want to dominate this whole podcast with just stuff about myself. It's a bit narcissistic. Alright, now we're going to talk about the Orchard Towers murder again because there has been an update. So for those of you who don't know, sometime back, AGC actually asked the police to investigate people who were accusing the court of giving preferential treatment um, of people based on their race. So the police actually did their job and right now they're investigating two women, one of them aged 28 and the other one who's aged 36 years old of these comments, I guess, and um, investigating for the contempt of court under Section 31A of the Administration of Justice Act. Jalat <laughs> Hongkan for them. So anyway, I guess I was quite happy when I saw this article because, you know, largely I stand for freedom of speech, but I do believe that in places like Singapore, you know, where racial harmony is something that is very, very important to the country because we really cannot afford to be seen as an unstable country. Otherwise, nobody would want to do business with us and without trade Singapore is pretty much dead lah, right so it is something that is very fragile because we are very multiracial and I think that especially in instances like this where race baiting is completely unjustified something needs to be done to people who are inciting all this racial disharmony right you really just need to kind of look at Twitter and see the things that people are saying about different races and it's really getting quite bad and it's getting quite heated right and it is not a one-time thing where people are just kind of talking about the courts being uh, you're another Chinese privilege oh you let off because Chinese again always Chinese 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 and this has been happening like quite often it has happened a few times already at least and I think that you know something needs to be done and I, I, I believe that if these two people did not say anything that's too severe maybe they'll be let off with a warning at least this goes to show Singaporeans right that you need to take some responsibility for your actions and you cannot just say things out of your ass lah, right even before knowing about the case you already go and say oh it's just because he's Chinese and I, I was also wondering right what is it that 
why these two people? Because if you search for Chinese privilege and all about comments about this case, you will see that like hundreds of people have said that it is Chinese privilege and one of the accused is let off with a conditional warning just because he's Chinese. So many people have said it. Like why in particular these two people? There must be something... You, you know, with what they said that is particularly bad, lah, I guess. And uh, my guess is that they actually, you know, didn't just talk about race. They actually talked about the courts having preferential treatment for certain races. And they must have said it maybe in a longer article, I feel. If not, right? If they are just one of two random people who just said Chinese privilege, I guess, <laughs> you know, then they just really can't sway, lah, huh? Yeah. And also, I think this time around, we didn't see the races of these two women. But I tell you, if they are minorities, wallow, it's going to be another round. Because people are just going to be like, oh, you, now you're silencing minorities. And yeah, so um, the flip side of this, which I can also see, is that if we allow the court to not let us talk about unfair judgments then what happens if they really start giving terrible judgments that are like you know citing a particular race be it or maybe citing rich people or maybe citing you know powerful people so that's the flip side of you know limiting freedom of speech i guess and uh, when that day comes maybe i'll regret taking my stance right now um, but i do think that this issue of this inciting racial disharmony is the more urgent matter right now and i, I think that right now our courts are I don't think they're corrupt. Lah, huh? And I do think that, especially in this instance, the sentencing is perfectly justified. So for all of you who don't know, just a very short summary, one of the accused got off on only a conditional warning. People are saying that it's because he's Chinese, but the real reason is because he fully cooperated with the police and he did not know that um, the accused who actually slashed the victim had a knife and he actually also tried to stop the attack. So, yep. Alright, next we move on to the case of Dr. Jeremy Fernando. He's a non-residential teaching staff at NUS and he has recently been dismissed after allegedly behaving inappropriately as a teaching staff after two complaints were lodged against him and the allegations included kissing, groping and performing sexual acts after a night of drinking. Sorry, every time I read this kind of like juicy sexual stuff, I will giggle a little bit. It's very childish. So he was initially suspended and after an internal review, he was dismissed on October 7th. And I guess, you know, in this case, the students are probably like, I don't know, maybe 20 years old if they are like university students. And Dr. Jeremy Fernando is 41 years old. So... Um, and I also find it very interesting that there are two girls there. Like, was he dating them together? At the same time? Or was it separate? Or, well, he's like very popular with the girls, yeah. I guess this sparked the debate on whether university teachers should be allowed to date their students if the relationship is consensual. Some people have said that it's perfectly fine because both are adults. It's a consensual relationship. Nobody was forced. And why shouldn't they have the freedom to date whoever they want to date? And then, you know, my personal opinion is that undeniably, if you are a teacher, then there is this position of power, so to speak, right? And I think the line is just kind of really grey because you don't know if the girl was a little bit pressured into doing this because she wanted better grades or something like that. And, you know, I, I guess the very clear-cut kind of wrong is when, oh, the teacher says like, hey, you want an A, ah? okay, la, then give me a blowjob, right? <laughs> so that is obviously wrong, but it's a little bit more 
ambiguous when the university student is 40 years old and then the teacher is like 30 years old? Is there still this like position of power thing? And I guess the age also matters. Maybe it's the student who hit on the teacher first. Stuff like that, that's kind of nuances in this argument. So I can see kind of both sides. But personally, for me, I think it's more of an issue of you have, as a teacher, signed on the dotted line that dating a student is simply not allowed. So you should be dismissed if you break your contract. Lah. And basically, it's like you agree to do this, then face the consequences, right? If you kind of didn't do what you're supposed to do. So one of the arguments is that, you know, the two students, the two female students, I guess, they should also be kind of like... um take some part of responsibility because they themselves have gotten into a consensual relationship with the teacher. And some people have pointed out they didn't want to report to the police. They only reported this to the school. I guess it ended up with the teacher being dismissed, but there is no consequence for the students. You know, So I guess the argument is that these students, perhaps they themselves wanted a better grade or they liked the teacher. Um, you know, So they got something out of it and then he's the only one who had to deal with the consequences. Another argument is only the teachers are told not to date students, but students are not told not to seduce teachers or flirt with teachers, I guess. So, you know what? I guess this is kind of true. I can agree a little bit on that. I think that students should also note that they shouldn't be inappropriate with teachers. Like, of course, I think most people would assume that the teacher is the older one and the one who is uh, bound by his contract to have a certain professional code of conduct. So he should be the one kind of resisting, even if students are flirting with him, I guess. And, you know, some people have also asked, like, what if the student or the teacher are in, the teacher really genuinely fell in love with the student? I mean, you can wait until the student graduates and then, you know, start being inappropriate. You can wait a few years, maybe. And something else that's kind of juicy about this case is that uh, Dr. Fernando was also part of this BDSM like Zoom call thing that was actually it kind of went a little bit viral some time back so I actually saw the petition because uh, I guess a bunch of students wanted to organize a educational or discussion panel I don't know what it was kind of thing about sort of like more deviant sexual practices on Zoom. And I, I guess they justified it by saying, you know, people should be more educated about how to, uh, you know, do things like perform bondage safely. And I remember seeing the photo of the, the event. It was like some like BDSM picture. Lah. So I guess a lot of people found that inappropriate and people started a petition to ask for this event to be cancelled. And I am a little bit ashamed, just a little bit ashamed to say that I was one of those people who signed the petition. And just now my very young producer asked me why I signed the petition in a very incredulous voice. <laughs> So I said, because you're a student, you go there and fucking study, go and do all this kind of funny shit. So that was my answer. Very boomer answer, right? <laughs> like, why are you discussing all this rubbish in school? Shouldn't you be just freaking like, I don't know what they're studying about, like, talking about molecules and whatnot. Like, instead, you are doing this BDSM workshop, like, seriously, like, you just finish your college first, then you're going to do this kind of thing, okay? Anyway, so I guess that event eventually got called off, and how this is linked back to Dr. Fernando is that he was ousted as one of the participants, and he actually, I think, uh, wrote an article about why this practice, or this Zoom call, rather, why this Zoom call should be allowed to go on, and it's for the good 
of the students, right? Yeah, so I guess from this, we can see that, I don't know, he seems to be a very horny guy. And I think it's okay to be horny. Just keep your fucking horniness out of your job lah. Like, be professional, you know? You shouldn't be discussing this kind of sex shit with your students. I think that is just inappropriate. Maybe, maybe I'm a prude. Maybe nowadays people go to swing parties with uh, their professors. Maybe they discuss with their professors what's the best way to do anal. I don't know, but I think that is inappropriate. Okay? So I guess my conclusion to this is, That's how I feel about this. Yep. So I'd love to know what you guys think. Recently, Singaporeans have been talking about animal cruelty because a dog-loving Singaporean couple tried on a short collar and a prong collar on themselves to feel how it feels like uh, when this happens to the dog. Lah. Yeah, and they posted this on social media. So if you guys didn't know, the short collar would deliver an electric jolt remotely by the trainer as a way of shocking an animal into compliance. A prong collar has blunt metal hooks inside the collar and this will actually deter the dog from making sudden movements. So according to the post, the Singaporean couple is asking for a ban on short collars because they think that it's horrible and it leaves the dog feeling scared as uh, the dog will anticipate for the next jolt, which is more uncomfortable than the physical pain of the jolt itself. And I think that they also mentioned that it is not exactly painful per se, but it's just like a bit scary. La. Also, they mentioned that the prong collar looks a lot more painful than the shock collar, but the pain is actually not that bad. Uh, but there is some discomfort as... Uh, your neck is a pretty sensitive and delicate area. So they also posted photos of red marks that are seen uh, on their necks. MP Lewis Ng reposted the Singaporean couple's photos and asked for a ban on shock collars and prong collars, stating that they are unnecessary and they are cruel to the dogs. So I personally don't have a dog, so I can't say much in-depth knowledge about this topic. You know, I never had a dog that was big before. I had a dog which was very small before. So I guess most of the time, you know, short collars and prong collars are used for bigger dogs, which are a little bit more difficult to control. But I would say that this is a very prickly topic to discuss because people already have this notion that short collars and prong collars are seen as being very cruel. So if you don't agree with a blanket ban on them, you will be seen as, you know, approving cruelty. La. And I think that when discussing things, people should just leave their emotions out of it and talk about, you know, the nuances in the arguments and you know, I personally do see a point also behind certain trainers who think that it is the lesser of two evils when you use short collars or prong collars because usually these collars are used as a last resort for dogs which are just cannot be controlled. Nah. And the other bigger evil is if your dog goes out of control and sometimes your dogs are too big and strong for their owners to kind of you know, control them, I guess. And they might turn aggressive and they might, you know, attack a child or attack another smaller dog, maybe. And we have seen instances where dogs have like completely disfigured a child's face, for example. And that's the last thing anyone wants to deal with. So a lot of people think that, you know, this method is completely unnecessary because they are what we call pure positive dog trainers, which only use positive reinforcement to train their dogs. 
However, I think that that is a little bit overly optimistic. I think just like humans, dogs have different personalities and they also are a product of their lived experience. So if you're a dog who is abused and, you know, maybe you just tend to lash out a bit more. I don't know. I, I wouldn't know about these things. I'm not an expert. But I, I think that just like humans, not all dogs can uh, be trained with only positive reinforcement. Lah. And I do think that there is a case where you know, if you want to give a home to a dog which nobody else wants because it is aggressive, then that is a kind move, right? You want to give the dog a loving family. But in the meantime, if the dog is being very aggressive towards maybe kids that the dog sees in the park or other dogs that uh, the dog sees in the park, then maybe the safer option would be to use a short collar to train the animal rather than kind of risk it and maybe let it hurt other people or, you know, other animals, right? And I think that, you know, there's no argument la, that we shouldn't be using these short collars or prong collars unnecessarily. Like, for example, on a small little, uh, you know, chihuahua, something that's very harmless that you can easily control, you probably shouldn't be using collars like that. I think most people who own dogs love their dogs. There's probably a very small amount of people who own dogs, but love to torture their dogs. So of course, you shouldn't be using these collars to kind of torment your dog for fun and kind of take joy out of it. But I do think that most people who do use these collars use it as a last resort because they just can't handle their dogs. And I guess, of course, some people would say, if you can't handle your dog, then don't have a dog. Lah. So are you suggesting that then these dogs have to be put down because maybe nobody else wants them because they're very aggressive. And also, I think an argument can be made for uh, the kind people who, you know, adopt dogs that nobody else wants because they have behavioral problems. And if you don't give them a solution to train their dog better to get out of those behaviors, then maybe nobody wants to adopt these dogs and they actually get put to sleep. Lah. Yep, so that's what I think about this topic. Uh, as I said, I don't know much about it. I'd love to know what you guys think. Next, we're going to talk about Robinson's Closure and it is a departmental store that has been in Singapore for many, many, many years and they recently announced their closure on 30th of October. So there was this saga, I guess, that happened because um, suppliers are complaining that they are not being paid for their goods which are on consignment. So consignment is when you leave your goods in a store to sell and when there are sales, then the store will take a percentage of your sales and give the rest to you. So a lot of the suppliers are kind of panicking because this news means that Robinsons is not doing well and they allegedly have not been paid for months and whatever sales that Robinsons managed to get of their products or their goods, they may not be able to get their money back. So you lose your product and then on top of that, you don't get any money out of it. So I guess they are, they are very scared of this. So some of the suppliers have gone down to the store to retrieve whatever leftover goods is still in Robinsons. And when they tried to contact their usual contact point for payment matters, they also faced difficulties as their contact point has resigned, allegedly. So I guess people were talking about this saga because... I guess if you are the supplier, you also feel very, very la, right? That you cannot even go in and get whatever remaining goods that you have in the store. Um, however, I think there was an update where they managed to get back whatever their products were. So I think that's good news. So I guess most people don't really know what happens during a liquidation process. But from my understanding, it is that there is sort of like a one, two, three, four of who you pay first and 
only after you finish paying number one, number two, number three, then you get to the smallest, like most unimportant person at the end of the list. La. And then if you are like at the bottom of the list, then you just very sway. La. You will not be able to get any payment whatsoever. So I guess, you know, these vendors, they know that they are kind of at the bottom of their list because I think from my understanding, I don't know if it's true, you have to pay whoever you owe the most first. So, yeah. So I guess good luck to all of these uh, people who put their products at Robinsons. I really hope you manage to get your money back. In global news, a video went viral of a woman who was beaten to death in China by her husband. And this video went viral because... Oh my god, I just saw it and it is horrific. Okay, so I, I they look like they are what, 40 plus 50, maybe 60 years old. Cannot really tell because you only see their back. The woman was lying down on the floor. She was just kind of chilling her head, I guess, with hands. And the husband is whacking her relentlessly with a stool or a chair. Some kind of chair, yeah. And... It, the shocking thing about this is that somebody was filming it, right? And there were onlookers just looking. Like someone walked past and they didn't even like care. They didn't do anything to stop the guy. Like nothing. Like a few onlookers were there and they just stood there and watched the show and did nothing. They didn't even look outraged. It is so insane. So this is why I guess the video went viral because eventually the woman actually did die. China media said that the violence erupted after the married couple accidentally hit a vehicle while driving an electric scooter in the Shanxi province. The media post about the incident drew tens of thousands of comments and most people are criticizing the inaction of the bystanders and about the chillax attitude that, you know, a lot of Chinese people, China Chinese people, have towards domestic violence, right? So, you know, some people have said that if you actually just see violence, most people will react more. But if you see a man hitting his wife, a lot of people will think, yeah, you know, that's your own family business. I just won't bother with it. Lah. Yeah. I think in this situation, it is really quite sad because I really think that the woman wouldn't have died if somebody had stepped in uh, to stop the man. And there were several adult men standing around. So it's not a question of, you know, I'm scared if I go stop him, he would attack me. It's not like he was holding a knife or holding a gun. He was just holding a chair, like a flimsy chair. Yeah, so I think... They definitely could have stopped him. Like, it's just really a pity that this woman died. And I think, you know, this kind of reminds me of an old video that I saw many, many, many years ago. I don't know if you guys saw it. It, it went really viral, but it was long, long, long ago. It was this video of a boy um, who was, I think, five years old. And it was so sad because he was run over by a car and he was struggling and like... He died shortly after, I think, or whatever. I cannot remember. But he was just lying down there and obviously injured. And so many people in that video, you can see so many people walk past him. Nobody gave a shit about him. Everyone just walked past him. And eventually, I think at the end of the video, you can see his mom finally seeing that her child is like injured and just running to him and like crying. La. So that video really illustrated to me how bad the situation is in China with regards to sort of stepping in to help people. I hope that it's not a prevalent problem. I don't know. Maybe this video is not representative of how, you know, most Chinese people behave. But I guess people have said that there's this thing called the bystander apathy, where it's kind of a phenomenon where you see the more people are around just kind of looking at what's going on, you maybe mirror their, their what they're doing, right? If they're not helping, 
maybe I shouldn't, maybe I don't need to. And so therefore, they don't actually go and help the person in need. Yeah, so people have also speculated that in China, you know, maybe people don't go and help that like five-year-old boy that I'm talking about because it's a traffic incident, right? And maybe people just see it as maybe this child is like being a beggar and doing that to scam you of money. Like he's pretending that he's injured because he wants to blame you and, you know, get insurance money out of you or something like that. Maybe that's what they're thinking. So people tend to kind of want to protect themselves. I choose to believe that nobody is so terrible that they would see a five-year-old boy just dying and not help him at all. If that is true, right, that would really make me lose faith in humanity. So I guess I have to choose to believe that these bystanders didn't think that he was dying or that he was just sleeping or maybe being a beggar or something like that, and which is why they chose to ignore him. Yep, but it's really, really heartbreaking to see stuff like that. All right, we've come to the end of my podcast. Thank you very much for staying with me all the way till the end. If you're still here, last week our podcast hit number three on the charts and I am very proud. I'm a proud mama. And also I set up an Instagram page for Xiaxue No Filter on Instagram. So you guys can go there to discuss a lot more about the topics that we talk about. And it is X-I-A-X-U-E No Filter. Uh, just one word together like that on Instagram. So don't forget to follow us there as well. And I'll see you guys next week. Bye.